Welcome to Midlife Moxie. We are a community and podcast all about midlife women making this one of the best seasons of their lives. Well, I'm one of your hosts, Gail. And I'm Christina. We're going to be sharing our stories, struggles, and joys while bringing you experts on topics that you care about. And we're going to do it while having a whole lot of fun. So buckle up, girls. Let's get our Moxie on. Welcome to another episode of Midlife Moxie. I'm your co-host, Gail. And I'm Christina. And we're here today with Lisa Michelle Zega. And boy, does she have a story for you. Her story is one of trauma, but triumph. Of trials, but overcoming to make her a woman who has truly found her midlife moxie. So welcome to the show, Lisa Michelle. Thank you. Thank you. It's so good to be here. I'm excited. How does it feel to be a midlife woman who has found her moxie? It feels incredibly empowering. It feels, I mean, good, but what is good? It feels rich and whole and thick and awesome and all the stuff. The glow on your face. The glow on, I wish they could see it. Don't you, Christina? Oh yeah. She's like, you guys smiling from ear to ear and she's got the greatest smile and her teeth are straight. Like, uh, Gail and I are very big on teeth. So, um, looking at, yeah, yeah. Total dental given magic. Like, well, girl, no work. you got it going on. You got it going on. You do. Going on. on the top tooth. That often looks like I got a little witch in my profile, so. Oh, how hysterical. <laughs> well, Lisa Michelle has a long story, so we're going to get right into it because I think women in midlife, sometimes we roll into this season a little bit damaged, a little bit confused, a little bit beaten up. And some of us have not truly found out who we are until this season. And I think that's probably true for you, Lisa Michelle. Would you agree? Uh, Yeah, in many ways. I I would say I didn't start growing up until I was 38 years old. (laughs) I think that's true for a lot of people, Lisa Michelle. I think that's a lot of people. I was one of those people. (laughs) So it's all good. You're in good company, girl. You are in good company because we... Um, at Midlife Moxie, I, I believe that we kind of look at our 30s as the training ground for what's to come in, you know, the later part of our years. And it really sets us up. It sets us up to make the mistakes. And then we get to learn from those mistakes and really define and refine it as we get into our 40s and, you know, 50s and 60s. It's like just a constant refine, a tweak. So, uh, I love that. I love that you said that. Well, I love the uh, idea of yeah. composting. So like it all is in the mix, enriching, grinding, moistening, nurturing the soil. And so the soil that I dwell in now is very rich, rich in nutrients, strong, gives me space for all my roots to grow deep because I really believe we can only grow as high as our roots are deep. Oh my gosh, you are talking about a, a tree, and I I know that you and I have never met face-to-face, but you are speaking my language, girl, because I look at a tree, and I look at it, and I'm like, yes, a tree gives you life. It gives you vibrancy. It changes with the season, so it gives you a lot of color. Its roots grow wide and deep, and you have really planted yourself on a solid foundation. And so would you say that that's a clear representation of how you view yourself as this, you know, beautiful, gorgeous tree? Oh, my goodness. I am so excited. Just right now, Psalm 1 just came into my mind, like, blessed is the man, right? And and talking Mm -hmm. about who's planted by a stream. But when you were talking, Christine, I was thinking, about like little baby trees and you can't climb them and you can't get shade from them. Like the worst thing about a brand new neighborhood is the new trees, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do with those new trees? Where do you get this? <laughs> and, and wow, this is the first time I've ever thought about the beauty of being in midlife 
of being that mature tree, right? Like they're so like, wow. And yeah, so super excited about this. Yeah, you're no more neonatal, girlfriend. There you go. You are a full blown, beautiful oak tree or you oh, know, whichever. No, no, no. Like. That I literally own that I am an oak. Like I can feel the roots going down. I feel the branches. Oh my god. Had like no the oak. Okay. And, and that's like the first thing that came to my mind because oak is like solid. It's strong. It's, you know, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. Lisa Michelle. Oh my gosh. Can you believe it? Like, like serendipitous. Well, let's get into yeah. the story, guys. <laughs> We're so excited because we know how this ends, but they don't know the beginning because the thing that makes Lisa Michelle's joy, that laughter and that beautiful smile so amazing is how much you've overcome and what you've been through. And I think sometimes we as midlife women think we're just the sum of the parts and we're more than the sum of the parts because the sum of the parts in your case would be a deficit. Mm. It really would. If we only looked at the actions and what they were, um, it would not add up to beauty and joy. But isn't that the magic? So dive in. Tell us about the early years. You became a young woman and what happened? Well, I don't know what parts of the story, you know, so if I were to give a sweeping overview, um, I didn't meet my biological dad, and at some point that registered in my psyche that I just meant that I was unwanted and unworthy. Um, My sister's dad, when my mom and him got divorced, I just know that he picked her up and he didn't pick me up, and that was how I learned he wasn't my dad. So I don't have like childhood memories of what did little Lisa go through, but I can only imagine, right? So then that reinforced that story. At some point, my mom married a very abusive man, and then it culminated in this wonderful man whom I love, and he was like the one that was choosing me, and he adopted me. He gave me his name. And then he disowned me when I was 16 years old and gave me a $50 savings bond, a color TV, and told me he never wanted to see me again. And so that's the the foundation of the men in my life. And then... Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Let's rest on that just a minute. Let's let's go back to that just a minute. Yeah. Like, let's, let's go there. Um, so, so when, cause I'm just like, wow, wow. Okay. You had these, these pivotal points when you were younger, which we all know, um, that when you have those kind of pivotal moments when you're younger, they really dictate your filter and how you view life, uh, in your later years. Um, also the projection that you might give to your children, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of complex things that are going on here. So what what was that triggering point for him to say, okay, you're we're done. We're, we're done. I, you need to go. Or You know, part of it is when you're telling another person's story, and I can only tell you the part of his story that I know. And he did reenter my life. Her. And he's got his own story and his own wounds that, right, if we were seeing through this man's eyes, all his actions made perfect sense. We're seeing through my eyes, and so we're seeing, you know, how, how it landed right. for me. What I knew at the time was he was remarrying a wife that had never been able to have kids. And so that was maybe a pain point in their relationship. But the second thing I know is he had been divorced several times before, and there had never been a child involved. So that was quite inconvenient. It was quite inconvenient. Yeah. It gave it gave a way for my mom to remain in his life, right? Because kids tend to, in some way, shape, yes. or form, keep you attached to the former spouse. Sure. And that just wasn't that wasn't a workable situation for where he was at. So he, I am confident, was not really thinking about what this would mean or say or communicate to me. So now one detail we skipped is that he did not enter your life until you were 10 years old. 
That's exactly right. So you spent 10 years of your formative little girlness having a number of unreliable men come in and out of your life, including your biological dad. Then you meet this guy at 10 and he becomes a stable figure, something you've never had in a man. And he, so I look like him. So my dad's Chinese and my mom is this fair skinned blue eyed blonde. And then you put me in between them and it was like, oh, these are my parents. And to this day, like when he passed away, there's this picture of us and you would never imagine that I was adopted. And so I really had this sense of like, I belong. I'm chosen. So that period of that six years, he acted as your father for all intents and purposes. Mm, He did. And, you know, there was more to that story because he was going from his own learning, his own experience. And so he started kicking me out when I was 13 years old. So there's a whole nother. and, And I can even look you know, through his eyes and say, yep, he thought that he was helping me grow up. He thought like he was giving me his life in some ways. And he was very proud of the man he had become. And again, he wasn't looking through my eyes. So when I'm looking through his eyes, I can reason, but that does nothing for Lisa's heart. And so often in life, we are trying to heal the wounds of our heart with the understanding of our head. And you know what? We're not designed that way. So, and that's the thing. I was relying on my head, trying to make sense of my world all the way until I learned to witness my own heart. And that, that's why I do what I do today. You know, Lisa, something you just said resonated with me because I found myself always trying to be good enough, good enough for my parents to truly love me. And my story is nothing like yours, but there's something inside me that never felt loved for just me and who I was in my deepest parts. More like they loved me because I happened to be their child rather than they loved the person me. And I've spent my life trying to be good enough. I cannot imagine the amount of trying to be good enough you must have experienced. Now, and also you had another trauma when you were 13. Well, I, when I was 13, my papa died by suicide. Now, that's your grandfather? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. mom, Peepa. Uh, he was very significant in my life. When I was 13, I sought to take my own life after after he passed away. Um, was, was there that were the several time? things. I lost my virginity at 13. <laughs> 13 was a big-ass year. And 13 was the <laughs> first time that I was hospitalized for asthma, and if we know anything about the way things tend to land in our body, deep sorrow shows up in the lungs. So is it any wonder that this young woman was hospitalized at 13? Wow. And nobody is giving you any resources or treatment for all the trauma you've suffered. It's just suck it up, Lisa Michelle. Just keep on going. And, and, and you're a child. Unique to me. That's like a societal norm. Oh, yeah. Keep on oh, oh, chugging. Yeah. yeah, just just push it down as far as you can. We don't want to even look at it. Well, I'm known for that. Ask Gail. She'll tell you. I'm known for that. Well, I don't nobody look wants at it. to hear your sob story. Yeah. If you need to cry, go cry alone. Yeah. And yeah. look at you, you ladies talk about the Enneagram quite a bit. I'm a two on the Enneagram. Oh, you're a helper. Oh, we love our helpers. And this is the and social and able to just be all the things for all the peoples. So, you know, I found a way. Wow. Okay. So all that trauma before you're, you know, by the time you're 16 years old. And so you roll into young adulthood, very damaged very damaged, very probably insecure. So may I just change the language here for something that resonates? Sure. When I think damaged, I think products, right? Like okay. there's a, there's a dent in the refrigerator. I'm no fucking refrigerator. So <laughs> I would say I rolled in wounded. Wounded. Rolled Good. Wounded. Yeah. 
and and, and I didn't necessarily understand that I was wounded because I've always talked real loud. I've always been the bold one, the person that could go to the front of the room. She didn't seem wounded to me. And so I didn't show up mousy and mousy is how I made sense. Like, this is the way I distinguished myself so I could still feel good, big, and strong. Right? And I didn't it's know. The, it's the cover, right? Yeah. It's the cover. And I didn't know I was wounded. I didn't know. Oh, wow. That's... Well, I, well, I didn't that's, know I was doing, I was doing life. <laughs> that may have been well, a mixed right? blessing, you know. It's actually a protection thing. And, you know, then you... you I, I see that you have this real this new awakening at 18 um and in that awakening that you had at 18 was that when things started to kind of come together for you and you can share a little bit about so, what that awakening is yeah. or was or so at 18 I meet Jesus and I will say oh we love us some Jesus over here girl I love me some Jesus too <laughs> she was hanging out at that well and here he came are guilty many of us are guilty too real about the shit that's happening if we're busy protecting the reputation of jesus wow so you know there was that too um but at the same time yeah jesus to this day is my life but even in that there's been some recomposting in how that shows up what that means to me the way that i hold my faith right or the way my faith holds me um, right. A lot of that is shifted as I've entered midlife. Or, you know, I think that's true yeah, for a lot of us. Yeah, on our spiritual yeah, journey. A lot. Jesus can meet us in some interesting places, but that doesn't mean where he's going to stay with us or that's how it's right, going right. to look. And yes. it, that can be really messed up. And it sounds like yours was really messed up. So tell us about that season with the first hubby. Well, let's yes. see. I meet the hubby at Bible college. So it's got to be fantastic. What were you you studying in Bible college? That's an intriguing. The Bible. I know people don't even talk about, like, it's not even a thing, right? But there are places that you can go just to study the Bible for the purpose of studying the Bible. Including Greenville, South Carolina. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Which I, I don't know if you have that. But I, I, I have had a lot of amazing experiences in teaching because I met my ex-husband at Bible college. My husband. Have you guys heard this phrase? Is it not? The I cult? haven't, but that's great. Right? Wait, what is husband? Oh, he was a. I, he was a husband. Husband. That's fantastic. That's the price of admission right there. Husband. Turn this on to something new. I can't wait to tell my husband this. <laughs> Watch so out! I, you'll be a husband. Bible college. And then, so he has to be a winner. He's at Bible college. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and his yeah, he has to be solid. You know, he has to be spiritually fit if he's here. And how lucky is Lisa Michelle? This wounded little deer has met her knight in shining armor. Who's studying to be a pastor, no less? Look at you. Now you're getting promoted to queen of the church, the first lady. Yeah, you, Look at you're you. the first lady. Oh, watch so, out. So this is all that, right? And then he's on the seminary track, so I get to go to seminary. One seminary, Gail, I went to was in Greenville, South Carolina. I know. Mm-hmm. How about that, Christina? 
That's pretty awesome. And then in Escondido, California, which is closer to you, Christina, right? Yes. Yes. Well, it's it's not too close, but it's it's in California. Christina <laughs> hangs out by the prison. <laughs> I, I I'm I'm just waiting for my room to open up at Folsom, you know. I, um, I, I used to live in Folsom too with the one no. Lisa Michelle, we were probably like neighbors at some. some when she time. said Folsom, oh all I'm seeing is it wasn't Johnny Cash that went to Folsom. Yes, Johnny Cash. I'm yes. like, <laughs> this is the craziest story because just for our listeners, neither of us have met Lisa Michelle in person, but we've connected yeah. with her. And now we've also, I knew that she had been in Greenville for a while, which is where I live. And now she's lived in the same town as Christina. Help us all. This is just great. So <laughs> yeah. you married, yeah. you married the preacher man. You I went to seminary, went to seminary, um, had three boys, homeschooled all my kiddos. You're my on kids. the fast track to heaven right there. Oh. I put the uh, Westminster Catechism and the Heidelberg Catechism to songs, so my kids knew so many catechisms. Oh, they got their catechisms. Yeah, I, I mean, wow. I was doing, I was doing the stuff. Listen, I was doing Lisa the stuff. Michelle, you're, you're, you're making us over here look bad. Like I was just trying to get the Mom of the Year award, but clearly I failed. <laughs> I homeschooled, and we talked about the Westminster Confession and Martin Luther's agreements and all those things, but we did not set that to music, I don't think so. Lisa, you are, I mean, you've married a pastor, you've been to seminary, you're homeschooling, and your kids know the Westminster Confession, so you're definitely in the Jesus religion, top of the line club. I was so front of the line, Jesus. And then... We um, did a church plant, and we threw a a denomination called the Associate Reform Presbyterian. So we got all of our funding in the South. We moved to Southern California, and my husband basically began telling me that he was miserable and didn't want to be married to me. And that went on for 10 years before I left. And there were a lot of other things that went on that were just, let's just say things we don't talk about in church. How's that? <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's that's the problem, though. You know, I, I go to a church that, um, you know, we recognize that we're all broken. You know, we're all broken. We have we have wounds, and, um, and I, I really commend my church for doing this because, you have to make the conversation normal. Just like at Midlife Moxie, we're, we're normalizing the conversation about midlife and all the wounds and the pivotal stories that happen. And we need to talk about that just because you go to church or just because you're a pastor or just because you're a pastor's wife does not mean that you are walking with, with God, okay? Like, let's just be very clear. Well, and here's the thing that I learned and, and that I would like to normalize as well. So if you're a woman who didn't develop in terms of understanding like worth, value, having a sense of identity that's rooted, right? right. I didn't have those things. So enter church and Bible. And now I'm reading Bible as a woman without her own distinct identity. So I read a passage like, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, right? Mm. Obey your husband in everything. And just let's say that for a person who just gives herself over to that kind of a teaching, I got myself in a world of shit. And then I was blaming God for it because it's his word. You put me right. like, and I didn't even understand that submission to actually right. submit, you you're, you need to have something before you can give it. So if I'm going to give a decision, then I need to own one, you know, First. myself. And yeah. so this, it just created, it created a lot of contempt within me because anytime, mm. and this is, this isn't just Lisa, anytime we're suppressing our own values for the sake of the way we think we're supposed to do it, 
we build resentment within ourselves. It lives inside our bodies. And we, we might not recognize that um, it's, it's our own values that we're the ones suppressing, right? And, and our wounds, they hide in really sneaky places. They hide yes, in they do. They hide in our complaints, and they hide behind our blame. So I had lots mm-hmm. of blame for God and my husband. I had lots of justification for why things were the way they were. I had a ton of complaint. And those were all just a beautiful mask for a wounded woman. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, you know, that when you come into knowing who Jesus is and you're reading the word, and if you don't have people that can help you to decipher, you know, the time and really what the history of where that context is coming from, it can turn you into a different direction and um, just, you know, kudos to you that you were able to step out of that at some point and say, you know, wait, mm, this is not right. Like, let me just reframe my thought process in order to really have this, this valuable relationship with my creator, you know? Um, So, so I love that you touched on that. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, when, go ahead, Gail. When we get into some of these things, too, I always think of the don't cause other people to trip, you know, part of the Bible. And I think sometimes it's when we manipulate God's word or use it for our own devices mm-hmm. to control and damage other people that, or let's say cause trauma to other people, that that's, for me, that's kind of what's being discussed. But we don't want to go too much into theology here, but we just want to paint the picture that here she is. Yes. You know, the first lady, if you've ever been in Southern Church, the first lady, she's right up there with the Queen of England. I mean, nobody questions Uh her, but she also cannot show any weakness. She cannot share her own because she's caring for the flock alongside her husband. She's listening to everyone else's stories. Um, There's no place for Lisa Michelle to go, right? Yeah, I, well, there were so many things like secretive things that I didn't even know who to tell. There was so much shame. I didn't know. I I literally just didn't, even if there was someone to tell, like, who do you tell? And, you know, honestly, there are things that don't typically get talked about in church. And eventually I did find my way into recovery rooms and that those were, those were places that were a bit more honest, and that was very, very We helpful. go through a lot of things, even outside of religious circles. I know my first husband um, was a porn addict, and that's not something you can discuss openly for a variety of reasons. I couldn't tell the people around me because um, they would not let their children come to my home. I mean, you know, we would be exercised, plus there was a shame for me and a dirtiness that fell upon me um, to talk about something like that. And this was, y'all, this was over 25 years ago. This was like 25 to 35 years ago when I was in that marriage. And at that time, porn was not available on the internet. So it was a very seedy underground situation. Very, very taboo. Don't talk about it. Yeah. And so there was nobody. I carried that in, and it was hard. So I think there's a lot of things we as women carry around that we have no one to talk to and we think we're the only one. And then as I talk to other women, I hear that, oh, me, the whole me too thing, me too, let's use it here, me too. And we've got to normalize these conversations. So where, where did you go? Where did you go to get the counsel? Because I didn't, you talk about the recovery. Well, and well, where did Lisa go? Where did you go? You know, you talk about recovery rooms, but like, was there a friend that you could lean into? I mean, I, I have Gail. Gail knows when I'm all messed up. She's like, dude, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I 
and, and vice and versa. Like, What's going on? You know, back and, at the time, was- like I know for me, back at the time, things like that weren't discussed openly. So I imagine um, much the same is true for you, Lisa. Things were not the therapy was not accepted. Every therapy was on every corner. It was a different time. This was many years ago, right, Lisa? Yeah, and eventually I did end up in some therapy, but um, there were really, when I got the help for all the secrets, that Mm. was when the marriage ultimately, I I was single at that point. I was single at that point. Um, we, We spent easily over $50,000 seeking to invest in recovering that marriage. But here's what I later realized. We spent $50,000 to try to fix a woman that we both agreed was broken. And that's why I'm like, Hey, I don't like broken damage. Cause I'm a woman flesh blood. Like, you know, but what about his brokenness? Well, that's it. Never. It, it just didn't make the news. It didn't make the Now, it doesn't mean it didn't do a, a ton. It, it did a number on a ton of people, um, mm. himself included, but it did not make the news. But, you know, I have another friend whose husband was a pastor. And at her church, she was sent for therapy, and he wasn't. It's like, what the heck is that about? You know, we get in these things together, but you know what's standing out to me right now? You tell me I'm making an assumption, but this has just jumped into my, I don't know, my psyche here, is at this point, Lisa Michelle has now learned that bad people are bad and good people are bad. Yeah, I, yeah like people are people I and mm-hmm. people are wounded. And I really do have this sense that, Hey, the, the, the really harmful things we do in the world comes from a place of unprocessed pain. That's, that's my viewpoint. And I can have so much compassion for people that do really yucky things, myself included. And I do believe that that, that compassion piece is the softening into the transformation. Like there's a passage that says it's your kindness that leads us to change, right? God's kindness leads us to change. We tend to look at like, like we want to just call it out, be this is this way. And, and that, I'll tell you, you Gail and I. Pot of I don't know anyone like that. <laughs> That's Gail and I. Listen, we're, we're, we're offended and we're like, you offended me. I'm going to tell you about it. Justice seekers over again. here. And, and you know what? It's so funny because when we do that, we don't get any reprieve from that. We don't because the other person is either deaf to it, right? It's falling on deaf ears. So I'm throwing my, my pearls to swine trying yes. to tell you about yourself yes. when you can't even see yourself. And then it is a reflection of myself saying, ooh, I got some stuff to work on. It's ooh, usually the parts of ourselves that. that get stirred up by another human are often, I'll say often, parts of ourselves that we would rather not admit are parts of us. Exactly. Right? Like that's just, and, and when we can learn to like, there are just playful ways. I love being like, well, you know, I'm judgmental except for when I'm not, I'm this except for when I'm not, but then even. Yeah. I'm a justice seeker except for myself. (laughs) I do not want to pay for what I've done. I tell, I tell people that, um, oh gosh, what is the wording that I use? Like, oh, it's not a judgment. It's just a loving assessment of what you got going on. And so I'm doing it in love. And everybody's like, is it really that love? I'm like, I don't know, but I think it is. I'm doing you a favor. I'm trying to help you be better. Yeah. Here's the thing we have for you. Don't help me. But Lisa, I'm looking at your life and I'm thinking, okay, there were some shady characters along the way that you expected bad things from in some way. But when you met your husband, he was supposed to be the good guy. He was That had to do a number on you that the shady people did bad things, but now the good guy's done the bad things. 
and that just seems so incredibly heavy. And there was a lot of fallout from that. So talk about that next season, the fallout from that yeah. marriage ending. Because it was, y'all, we're not done with the trauma. Yeah, it's We're only happened. about halfway, yeah. guys. Buckle yeah, up. This is halfway in. So yeah. Lisa's um, laughing about it. You're you're amazing that you can laugh about it. We might have to have part two, girl. So let's keep that moving. What, what happens so, next in the story of Lisa Michelle? I move out. I move out with the clothes on my back, driving a 1997 Mazda Miata. I am not employed. I show up at a girlfriend's house and I'm like, knock, knock. Can I stay for a couple of days? She tells me this later. I don't even remember. And, um... So I end up getting to stay with her for two years. So thank God for good friends and relationship capital. I mean, richness does not just come in monetary, right? Like, so I am relationship, like, well-funded. Then um, what I did not expect were my boys, who I was very close with, They didn't know how to, I I just want to protect my kids. They did not know, like they didn't do anything wrong. They didn't wrong their mama. They didn't harm anybody. They're kids trying to make sense of their world. That's right. They don't, right? And there were, for several reasons, they felt compelled to choose and they didn't know how to do this. So they, to take care of themselves, stopped talking to me. Mm. And that lasted for about six years. And, and I would. Wow. Oh, gosh. Now, wait a minute. Let's and back up and say you have homeschooled these children. And yeah. all moms love their babies. But when you're homeschooling these kids, you're with them 24-7. The good, bad, and the ugly. So to not have them present when you were with them all the time had to just be an Oh, I'm feeling this. Let's just incredible on a second. <laughs> vacuum created in your universe. Yeah. Oh, Lisa mm. Michelle. Hugging you right now. Oh, yes. That is the most painful. Losing my boys is the most painful experience that I've ever had in my life. Because you had to feel like you were finally loved when you had those boys. And now that's Mm. taken. It's okay. Take your time. I would not have been able to leave had I known that I would have lost my boys. If I would have known what a high price I was paying at the time. Um, about four months after I moved out, I ended up going to my pastor and, um, and the therapist that was on staff at that church. And they said to me that if I weren't to go out and get free, my boys would never have a shot at freedom. And it it didn't heal my heart. (laughs) But in a church, when you go and get divorced, like, there there can be backlash in terms of the community. Oh, yeah. yeah I really didn't know what mine was going to be. Wow. And so, what all was it? Well... I, um, I, I didn't have any backlash really from the, um, Christian community people that what I got were apologies from people that had seen things all along. And, oh gosh, didn't that make you feel, I mean, that would make me feel somewhat validated, but also like that people cared that they saw me. I would have been a little bit mad. That's Gail speaking. I had both, Gail, um, because, you know, there were some beautiful things said to me, like, hey, we saw, we didn't know, we were afraid. But then there was an entire group of people that at one point had come forward. And when they did, um, 
I, they, they came to myself and my husband and they tried to share what they had seen and I defended the situation. I basically, and it just gives you an idea of my headspace said, if you knew how hard it was being married to me. Oh, like Lisa Michelle. Right. You would and that's what you do too. Right. But, but, okay, so let's just, let's just, like, give, lay out the timeline. You come from a place where you are severely wounded as a child. You meet this husband who is supposed to be this good person. He's on this fast track to, you know, uh, planting churches and doing all this stuff. And this person just, you know, for lack of a better term, just wasn't good. And... And now you're sitting there and you're defending this person because that's what, a, that's what abuse does, right? I mean, I've been in abusive situations and that's what abuse does. And I'm not saying that he was abusive. I'm just saying like it, it comes in different forms and we start to say, no, it's my fault. Well, hurting my people fault. hurt people, right? That's right. And people that have been hurt, like that's comfortable. <laughs> so. Yes, exactly it. That's it. You hit the nail on the head. I absolutely had lived a life where you could say the words, I love you. And then you do whatever you actually do. And, but so love looks like the life I had. So by the time I meet the husband, this is a comfortable form of love. Wow. Mm. Mm. Wow. That's, whoo, Lisa Michelle, that's, that's going to hit with some listeners. What we've accepted is love. I kind of accepted for good enough because I grew up with insecurities. And so even though I knew the first husband was not all that I would have hoped for, I thought that was my deserved level. I thought that was my ranking based on my appearance, my education, you know, how attractive I was. I thought this is, this is my level and you marry your level. And that's, mm-hmm. that it, if we can understand that when raising our daughters, that is just so, I mean, I knew some about the porn thing before we walked down the aisle, but I kept telling myself and based on his lies, of course, but you know, if I had had more confidence in who I was and I would have known that I deserved better than that, I would have said no to that. But I didn't. I didn't. My mom growing up had told me, you're not the prettiest, you're not the ugliest, you're average. So average is what average, you know, you, you should find a mate that's average. You know, I mean, he worked a job. He wasn't a drug addict, you know, find an average for yourself. So, <laughs> Geez, there's sometimes there's no wonder how we get to these places. But let's let's keep rolling because the story goes on. Yes. Lisa Michelle moves on from that horrendous place. And well, here's what's so incredible. So in that marriage, I was trained to be a life coach in 2010. Okay. But then there was a lot of drama around that in the marriage, and I won't go into it. When I move out. I disqualify myself. No one comes and says, hey, that's taken away from you. I do because I think, well, how in the world, when I've lost what's most important to me, do I now stand with others for what they're seeking to create in their lives, right? Right. Right. What I also happen, though, because in every, like, you know, ladies, we've kind of hit some high points of my sad points. I had a lot of, you know, smiles and laughter in the midst of this, as we all do, right? That the the sky was still blue often. There were still flowers in bloom. Like, there there were other things to see. Um, When I moved out, I said I moved out with the clothes on my back. I started balling. I was teaching at a homeschool co-op. I was teaching uh, high school, world history, which my kids think is funny because I can't remember and history, you know, whatever, but I, you know, I would study right beforehand and I a lot of us homeschool moms teach things we don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> just Let's just be yeah. honest. Yes. In fact, when my son, my firstborn was 10, he looked at me, he goes, Hey, do you read and then tell me about what you read to teach me? And I said, yes. And he goes, I can read. Oh my gosh. 
You're like, seriously? Yeah, seriously. So anyway. I remember many times asking myself, did they not teach this or was I talking? Because <laughs> I'm like, you know, you come to some things and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember this. I just need a refresher. And other things, I'm like, never in my life have I heard of this shit. What are they talking about? And now I'm like, oh, I was probably talking. <laughs> You ladies might be able to relate to this. You know the one that got moved for talking? And I'm like, uh-huh. I, I don't know why they think that this is... I was sent into the hall. And if you just yeah. put me just with the teacher, well, I'm going to talk to you. Yeah, I'm I talked to people coming down the hall while I was standing in the hall. <laughs> so anyway, I end up, through that homeschool co-op teaching... Basically, the students take on a project of working with those experiencing homelessness. I get involved. This becomes the next step of my journey. And I start volunteering at the largest service provider to those experiencing homelessness in Riverside. I get hired there. Ladies, making $15 an hour in Southern California. I'm like, so I just asked him, well, can I raise the rest of my salary? Like, this will not do. Anyway, within a month, I was promoted to a director position. The CEO, whom I love and cherish to this day, he took me under his wing and um, invested in me. And then I became, I've always had an interest in personal development. And now I wanted to learn how to work with people that were marginalized in a way that could be effective for them becoming self-sufficient. And so I learned so many modalities that ended up being composted into my coaching and became the trainer for that organization and then other organizations in the community. Because sometimes service providers who want to help do harm because anytime we step on another human's autonomy... It tends yes. to be harmful. So yes. anyway, I, and and it ended up making me the so much better coach, so much more rich coach. And I became committed. Even the wound with my children was such an opening, such an awakening, because I was like, I am absolutely committed to be the woman that they are going to need if and when they return to their mother be that five years, 10 years, 20 years, they are going to land in a safe spot. And how many of us wanted to be able to share our pain to a safe parent? Like, it's almost non-existent. Lisa Michelle, that is powerful. It is powerful. And that's my story. (laughs) That you were able to say, in all of your hurt, pain, and woundedness, and girl, by now you are contused, you are cut, you are severed, you're all the things. And in that, there was still this glimmer, this hopefulness, this pureness that said, I want to be the woman, the woman that my children will need when they return to me. That and is I just... And I want to be. I said, I will be. That is incredible, Lisa. That is incredible. Where did you get that strength? Well, part of it, it, working in homeless services was the greatest gift because the people that we see on the streets and the people that exit to homelessness, there are so much wounds there. And being able to hear their story and learn how to be with them in a way that was safe and like it was a window to me. I, I would see myself and every individual I talked to, I would see the... It helped me to see what I had done to my own kids, ways that I had inflicted my unprocessed pain, got visited on my own children. Mm-hmm. I would have never wished that on that, like, but I did it. And now, and they were the kids, and I was the adult. And my kids, like all kids do, whether you're a 50 year old kid or a 20, you know, whatever, right. when right. you go to mama and daddy, you, you want to be able to be the one that's heard and understood, right? And I knew that craving for my own heart. So part of it was as I became aware of myself, Gail, through the eyes of others, and I also sought out coaching and therapy, like I did all the stuff. And so that just helped me to, that's, that's one it of the It sounds like you knew what you had missed out on. You knew the, the vacuums in your life. Okay, so f- fast forward um, how many years? 
oh, it went years. That's, that's part of owning my own story is owning my own timeline. And, and it took me a while to sink into my timeline where I could share it without shame. So I, um, before my divorce was final, I reconnect with a man that I had known in high school when I was 15 and he was a precious 17. We had had our own story and our own situation that happened that, you know, there was some prejudice surrounding what broke us up. There were some, there was some racism. Um, he was a black man. Uh, I, I, anyway, so our little budding romance ended very quickly and tragically when we were teenagers. Fast forward 30 years later, we reconnect and we were not reconnecting for romance. And that did happen. And so he and I ended up in a, in a relationship. We dated for just shy of three years. We got engaged on a Christmas Eve and then he died in a car accident, uh, not a car accident, a motorcycle accident um, in April, wow. the, the day after Easter. Wow. Yeah, so just a few months after we got engaged. So, wounded child. <laughs> right. Just so right. y'all get this clear, because y'all probably think we're on another f- four episodes down the road, and this is someone else. How could this mean? traumatic things happen to someone, you know, your grandfather commits suicide at 10, you get a stepfather who loves you well, and then abandons you at 16, sexually active at 13, own suicide attempts, Um, you finally meet your knight in shining armor, He, he does not treat you well, that ends in a train wreck, you reconnect, joy, romance, all is redeemed, and then he's killed. Yes. I mean, Mm. I I just don't even have the words to express to you my appropriate sympathy and empathy for all the pain. But you embrace the pain in the most joyous way in your composting analogy. And I'll never forget, I'll never look at compost the same again. Because, you know, we think of compost as a lot of trash that's dumped in, but it makes this beautiful, rich soil. And you are that beautiful, rich soil, Lisa, Michelle. So... Gosh, after that, more trauma. Where do you land after that? Well, so I had just moved out of my apartment and was couch. I was on a woman's couch um, because I was just going to be there for a couple months before moving to Oxnard in preparation for our wedding. And and so now I'm widowed and I'm couch surfing. Like, it's so... Basically homeless again. Yeah. And so that you you have to find, like, now on the other side of it, you can laugh, right? But I'm sure that within that oh. season, it was just heartache and tragedy and just trying to, to go through the grieving cycle. Well, uh, I'll tell you the coolest thing is that when you're on a trajectory of personal development and, and learning and growing and witnessing... Like, I was a woman who was witnessing my own pain, who was learning self-compassion, who was... So then when he dies, I leaned into the grief process. I did go to a therapist initially, and I fired that therapist within 10 minutes. And I told him, you're treating me like a project, like you've got an agenda. I'm no one's agenda. Now, I tell you that story to say I'd already come a long way. When yeah. my my coworkers, I, I worked at a place they were like family, but they didn't know how to treat me. My CEO gave me permission. I wrote a letter to the entire company, telling people how to be with me in my grief, because if they treated me like a fruitcake any longer, wanted me to either cry on demand or act like he never lived and died, I, I couldn't be with them. So and and Damien gave me the you know, authority to do that. So, but I was a woman who had learned a great deal of agency. I was also a woman who was coming home every night and giving my time, myself time to lean into my pain. I was in a support system. I went through a grieving process that, so like there was a lot there for me. 
And I met the man that I'm currently married to in that process. So we were part of a biker club, which just cracks me up. When my kids, guys, going from pastor, like homeschool and mom, they have this yeah. of me, and then they're seeing mom in a leather. Finding a man in the church didn't work out. I think I'll go over here to the biker club. Well, can I yeah. tell you that they surrounded me? the way you would envision a church surrounding you in a time mm. of tragedy, mm. the ways that the, it was, it, it was amazing. It was like a home away from home. I felt incredibly safe. And I don't think God ever said church needed a staple. I just don't think he did. I love that community. They, they really were the, the church to me in many, many ways. And through that, through his death, I met my current husband, and he, they did this fundraiser for me, and my current husband was, like, the point person for that. There was a lot going on there. And he was the only one that didn't know my fiancé. So he also talked to me real normal and was super comfortable. And um, and then he and I began a romance, and I... <laughs> I want to laugh. There's a part of me that's still embarrassed, and it's my true story. The So... I had been proposed to on Christmas Eve. One year later, the day before Christmas Eve, my girlfriend. <laughs> Listen, you can't make that up. So hey, it, it any woman is. that's you managed to get three proposals, I'm like they impressed just, with that. Yeah, hey, good, good for you, girl. I tell like, my husband all the time. You can't even get one. Yeah, if so, something happens hey, to me, I don't know how it, him. Yeah. I don't know how marketable I would even be. So you go, girl. <laughs> So, and then we married on, um, we married just a month shy of his one year death anniversary and we married on three, nine, 19. Well, my first fiance's birthday was nine, 19. My current husband's daughter's birthday is nine nineteen. We married on three nine nineteen, and I was never really into numbers, but he was, and that the man that died, and so it's just really like these God winks all over the place. I was just gonna say that, yeah, like God was just showing up for you, and He, he was like, "I am with you. I am with you in this process. I am with and, you." And and I think that's like. Okay, for those who don't know who Christ or who God is, you know, okay, that, that's okay. Because we have some listeners who don't, and that's okay. Um, but I think that this is a beautiful a beautiful awareness of how much he loved you and how much he was your father. He was like, I love you, and I love the restoration that is happening within you. And, yeah, you have suffered but nowhere does it say we would be without suffering. And through the suffering, he still made beauty out of ashes. And and he was showing you all all the way. Like, all the way. I don't I just, love, I just love that. I'm like, I'm getting all the feels right now because it's such a beautiful redemption story. Especially if they could see the glow. Her yes. midlife moxie shines from within. She is a glow and her smile is so real and joy filled. Oh. So, so I'm going to tell you this gorgeous story because it's just, just such the hugest God wink. Um, so when he dies, we, you know, we had already said we're going to do this thing till death do us part, right? So there I am carrying his ashes in the church, walking down an aisle. And then when we get to the end, this wasn't planned. They gave me the cross. So he was buried in a Catholic church. He was not Catholic, but his family was. And um, and then they gave me the cross to carry out. And then it gets even better. He's got an uncle that's a priest. So there I am now for the graveside thing. I'm in jeans and my T-shirt and my leather. And right, the club is represented at the graveside. And then they hand me the Bible, and I'm reading the passages to the people. Mm. He just 
totally elevated. I'm like, I'm like gonna weep because he totally just elevated you to to show him off to everybody. Was, like, how cool is that? Like, that is so cool. Mm-mm. You can't make it up. Mm-mm. It's just like, nope. Mm-mm. This is God. This is who God is. Yeah. Just good. good, good oh my good, gosh. Good. What I'm a story. Excited. But here's what yeah. I really want to know as we wrap this up: is where is little girl Lisa Michelle now? Who is she? Who is she today? Well, this is the beautiful thing. I continue to find parts of her, but she is invited. And so, like, the most recent part was I found Pollyanna, which is, and I I didn't want any Pollyanna in me, the one that's all positive and whatever, but I realized she was a protector for me. So now Lisa is well cared for because she's protected by me, adult Lisa, my future self, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like, all the things and all the love and all the things like I, so I would tell you that I am that tree and that at one time I was a seed and at one time I was a sapling and at one time, right. I was the little baby shoot and, and now I am a solid, beautiful, strong oak. And, and big, beautiful, strong trees still have branches that, you know, like are not well. And that doesn't take away from who I get to be in the world. And I love who I get to be. And I love the way I get to support other women. In ding, ding, so, ding. That's where we... Yeah. yeah, so tell us what you're doing now, like, as far as career. Because it looks like you... you Come full circle. America. Yeah, yes. and 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 we, in part of your story, about midway through, you decided that you were going to exclude yourself from the coaching process mm-hmm. because you felt like your life wasn't um, adding up to what you were delivering. Yes. Where are you? What does that look like today? So now, you know, mid midlife women, especially those who are starting over, often find themselves with some sadness and some self doubt and some regret. Right. And I am that life coach who guides women to go through the process of honoring that pain and healing it so that they can keep all the wisdom, all the learning, all the rootedness, find that self-confidence as a result, and um, move forward to the next. And also all the love and all the joy to take that with us. So, so my story, like all the parts are in here and they are composted to make me the rich, beautiful woman that I am. And that's what I get to invite others into. Wow. I mean, turning your pain into helping others, I think is just one of the most honorable things that we can do. What would you say to the woman out there who is still living in that wounded little girlness, because many of us have little girl wounds along the way. What would you say to her? One thing that's real helpful is for that woman to identify what she would want to say to someone that she loves, cares about values. If she, if she was able to witness them going through the identical thing and that she, she stands in every woman has that empowered part of her. Every woman does. So that she allow herself to stand in that part of her empowered self, her adult grown-up self, and give that little girl what she wanted, what she needed, take the time to hear. And if that sounds difficult or daunting or like, I don't know how to do that, then I would say, call me. Oh gosh, I and love that. Where can that. they find you, Lisa Michelle? Where can they find you? What's your what's your IG handle? What's your website? Like, and and do you work with everybody? Um, in like, are you international? Are you just in the U.S.? Like, tell us a little bit about that, and um, and then we'll be wrapping it up. So go ahead. All right. So Lisa Michelle dot legit you on IG. LegitU.com if you wanted my website, which gets to be revamped, but it is what it is. And I can also be found on Facebook, Lisa Michelle Zega. And then let's see, there was one other thing you asked me. That's how I'm real easy to find. And I don't know what you asked, but that, that we'll put it we'll put your link in the show notes. Just make sure and get that to me. So that anyone who's experiencing this can connect with you. And 
Lisa, you are just shut. Such, I'm so shaken up, a bright and shining light of how we do not have to be the sum of the parts. We can be more than the sum of the parts. And, you know, like if you look at that compost, those parts don't look like much, but look what it has created. And you have overcome so much and just are truly an inspiring woman who's found her moxie and who is making this one of the best seasons of their lives. So we know that telling your story can't be easy, but we know you also do it to help others. And we so appreciate you coming and telling it here. Well, and Gail, I want everyone to know that I am in the process of rebuilding with all three of my boys and it's beautiful and it's rich. And I just didn't want to leave that open-ended and so thank you. I have loved being here. You two are freaking amazing. And I want a shirt. Well, Do I get a shirt? We're going to get you a shirt, Lisa Michelle. <laughs> we're we're about to have and, some more and, shirts. And Lisa Michelle, I have to tell you, I, I believe that you have just become my new fast friend. Um, because uh, your your spiritual awareness is, is so, like, my spirit was like, jumping and it's so real and we cuss a little I was like oh my gosh I just need to like connect with her on just that just on that that level you know but this is what midlife's about right it's about that realness let's just take off all the crap cut the shit and get down to it and you know (laughs) and sometimes we have to throw in a little shit for that you know and talk about it but gosh Lisa you're gonna have to come back another time and give us some updates because I know there's gonna be great riches come out of this but we're out of time for today so Christina (gasps) we have some affiliates that help make this program possible tell them who they are all right. Well, boob sweat. Can we just boob talk about sweat. it? Oh, so gross. It's so yucky. Um, if you are a woman that is suffering from boob sweat, well, we have a product for you or even like down below and you're like, what is that stink? We got some for you. It's called loveboobaliciousproducts.com. That's love, L-U-V-E, boobaliciousproducts.com. No E, no silly girl. Huh? No E. You said L U V E. Don't mind me. It's Spelling's not her thing, day. but she's cute. Spelling is not my thing, you guys. But I'm pretty, so she is. <laughs> so, so love L U V. Sorry, uh, Products dot com, and then you'll hit up and go to um, the promo code Moxie. That's M O X I E. I got that lemon fragrance, and I can just tell you, the girls are smelling lemony fresh, not going to lie. But let's talk about my favorite thing, shoes. We have a new affiliate, and it's a shoe company where the shoes are designed by a woman, and they are designed with your comfort in mind. All-inclusive sizes, 4 to 13, in a wide variety of widths. And what they have found is that a lot of you are wearing the wrong size because your size is not available, and that leads to discomfort. So they have created shoes that look good and feel good. The company is Walking Cradles, and you can find them at walkingcradles.com slash moxie. And when you go and shop for the cutest styles, you can even, I mean, these are just, you're going to be blown away of the cuteness. And then when you feel them, the comfort. But when you go in and put in moxie20 as as your code, after you use that link, you're going to get 20% off any of their full retail styles. So it's walkingcradles.com slash moxie. And then your code is moxie20 to save 20% off cute and comfortable shoes. So thank you so much again, Lisa Michelle. Um, That's going to be a wrap for us. So what do we say, Christina? Until next time, go and get your moxie on. Bye girls.